on this episode of The Way Up Show. It does not paint such a pretty picture. The median home price right now is $330,000. And the average wages are just under $52,000. So that translates to a metric of 6.4. Or said a different way, it's literally more than twice as hard to buy a home today as it used to be. You're listening to The Way Up Show, a podcast for anyone who thinks the housing market is broken and we can do something about it. My name is Jonathan Monk, but most folks just call me Monk. I'm the founder of Maslow, a company that makes the world's best backyard office studio. We believe in home ownership for all. Here, I'm talking about the history, design, technology, economics, culture, and the future of the housing industry and the power of home ownership to change lives. Good morning and welcome to the most honest and hopeful housing industry show out there. I was going to make this episode today about the difference between baby boomers and millennial home buyers, but I just came across an article that talked about how bad generational research is. And I think it's probably right, actually. Basically, it says we should stop using these broad characteristics to pigeonhole a group of people with a particular set of behaviors and beliefs just because they were born at certain times, and that it's not a very accurate way to categorize. For example, this idea that baby boomers are selfish and entitled, and that millennials are narcissists. The basic point is, there's people of all different types among all different groups. And even the idea of a generation isn't really very clear-cut anyway, right? I mean, I was born in 1981, so by some definitions I'm a millennial, like the oldest millennials, and by others I'm considered a Gen Xer. So, I mean, it is a fair argument. But, I mean, let's be honest, I'm still going to go and do this anyway, basically. I'm still going to do that today, because here's why. Let me read this to you. Come, mothers and fathers, throughout the land, and don't criticize what you don't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand, for the times they are a-changing. Bob Dylan. This lyric is 58 years old. But what makes this art... And the reason why Dylan won a Nobel Prize for Literature is that it's germane, it's relevant, it's resonant still today, and probably always will be, the nature of change. So let's talk about some of that change today, shall we? And let's talk about how things have changed in the way that people have grown up into their careers and their achievement of what we might call the American dream, which is education. A job with lots of growth, a home that you own, a family, prosperity, and progress is really what we're talking about here, right? The times really have changed, but let's just dig right into that trope, right? Let's just throw away this concern about generational categorization, and let's just jump right into this idea that millennials really are lazy and entitled. Is that true? 
I know plenty of lazy and entitled millennials, and I could probably name them, but I do know lots of lazy and entitled people from every age, creed, background, walk of life. So yeah, but just for the sake of it, let's try to get some perspective and see if this categorization holds up. A thought exercise I think will really do the trick here. So let's just do that. Let's say you are one of the 28 million millennials who graduated recently from college. Since by definition you are more than likely an average graduate, you left with about $40,000 in student loan debt. That's the average student loan debt. But let's remember that millennials, if we're digging into this idea, are Instagram-addicted, pessimistic, parasites, still live with their parents, want everything for nothing. They also won't grow up, get married, have kids, buy a home, and start saving for retirement. Right? And that they care more about their American short hair rescue cat than they do about the American dream. This rescue cat that they hilariously and in a completely original stroke of genius decided to name Simba. That's what they care about. Not saving for retirement. And for some reason they spend all this money on Simba. Buying food that is healthier for the cat than they do for their own selves. And they even take Simba to a veterinarian at the first sign of stomach cancer instead of just letting it die and burying it unceremoniously in the backyard of the house. You know, the house they have owned for five years already, right? So yeah, instead of just letting the cat die and burying it like a normal person like we used to do, they get extensive treatments to prolong Simba's life for five more years. So before we delve into that old trope, let's, well, let's take a step back. In this example, it's obviously ridiculous, but the most ridiculous thing about it, I think, is that we said that this person owns a home. It's crazy how hard that has become for people. Here's what I mean by that. Now, you guys honestly probably aren't going to believe these numbers, so it's worth looking them up on your own if you have these doubts, but they are actual published numbers. These figures are from the National Center for Educational Statistics and the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the U.S. And here's what some of them are. A baby boomer would have paid $660 for a four-year degree in the year 1977. Believe me, I had to reread that multiple times. What it means is that at minimum wage, you would have to work 306 hours at minimum wage to pay four years at a regular public university, like a state university, right? A little over 300 hours of work you'd have to do at minimum wage, and that would pay for your entire college tuition, four years. That's about 1.5 hours per week for four years. So like wake up on a Saturday morning and work one nine and a half hour shift And you've earned enough money to cover that entire semester's tuition at minimum wage at that time. Or, you know, if you're really a go-getter, really a plan or a type A personality, then, you know, you could work for two months during one summer, maybe ahead of when you entered the university, and you'd have paid for your entire college tuition. Yes, that's for all four years of your college tuition. Should I pause now for the weeping 
and the gnashing of teeth. Let me rub some salt into that wound a bit because there's actually more. In 1977, median wages were about $13,500 US. And a house that year cost, an average house that year cost $39,000. So maybe those numbers don't mean that much without some context, but the way I like to look at it is with this silly metric I kind of just made up, but seems to make some sense to me. And I think about it as how many years wages does the house cost? Very simple, right? You look at the wages compared to the cost of a home. I'll call that metric monk's really rough homeownership affordability metric. We can even call it merham for short. Let's just be silly about it. It's fun pretending to be an economist sometimes, but if we use that metric, in 1977, a house cost just under three times what the median wage was. So if you earned your salary at a median wage for three years and all of that money went toward the house, the house would be paid for in three years. So actually the number is 2.889 if we're being completely accurate. Right? But if you look at that same metric, Merham, right? Just go with it. It's not so good, right? If you look at that metric today, it does not paint such a pretty picture. The median home price right now is $330,000. And the average wages are just under $52,000. So that translates to a metric of 6.4. Or said a different way, it's literally more than twice as hard to buy a home today as it used to be. Now, we haven't even talked about how many hours you would have to work to pay for your tuition, but it's a lot more. And then when you do get a job, it's a lot more difficult to buy that house. Now, I absolutely do mean to alarm you here because there's actually even more than this. I feel like that as seen on TV guy, the pitch man saying, but wait, there's more because there really is more. I haven't mentioned the debt thing into that calculation. How do you save up when you're paying off student loans? Should we try to add that into the metric? The Merham calculation, the fact that you now owe nine months of a median wage in student loan debt plus interest. Now the interest rates are low, but still. That can't be good for the old credit score, which are now calculated using student loan debt in their calculations. So we're going to take a quick break and just talk about some news. Sometimes it's nice to come up for air on these heady topics after wading through the putrid, stagnant waters of reality and enjoy a bit of the bizarre with a segment I call The Way Sideways. In Seattle... People in the Ballard neighborhood are not pleased. Ballard is this coastal neighborhood with the trendy restaurants, breweries, just the type of place that would make people bristle at what's been going on there. You see, there's this RV that's been parked there and is just making residents upset after the owner built a makeshift upper deck and is causing a visual nuisance. Now, the residents originally claimed they were concerned that the structure might topple over. I call BS on that. They just don't like how it looks, is my opinion. So the owner, after hearing these complaints, originally dismantled this 
upper deck, which I would love to see pictures of, but now this upper deck has been reconstructed. The construction of the upper deck is back in action. I just find the rest of this story hilarious. KOMO News in Seattle reported this. They said, quote, one man who is helping with the rebuilding effort, I just love that, rebuilding effort, said that they are moving forward with the project. Quote, it's for music, he said. The Homeless Music Recording Studio. No, this is not coming down anytime soon. Close quote. Don't you love that? It's like it's some kind of official construction project. The article then goes on to quote an upset resident and says, quote, They have drums, he said. It didn't really go away. Ah, yes. The drums. Well, I'm all for this entrepreneur who wants to open what I assume must be absolutely Seattle's first homeless recording studio. But why stop there? Live concerts seem like a natural next step. Maybe open a bar, a record store, you know, sort of in the lower part. I don't know how the finances work out. Is it really that crazy? At any rate, that's all for today's segment of The Way Sideways. Now it's going to get even more messy because we haven't included this little thing called inflation. We just talk about inflation. Inflation basically means stuff costs more over time, right? In the most basic sense of it. And I'm no economist, but that's my own layperson interpretation of what it is. In an ideal world, some inflation is good and your wages go up at or close to what the rate of inflation is, maybe 2 or 3% per year in a good year in a healthy economy. That's why companies do what's called cost of living raises, right? If you're not getting a 2 to 3 to 4% raise every year, you're actually getting a cut in pay because the money doesn't go as far as it used to. But inflation really is a tough problem if you rent versus own a home. Let me give a personal example, right? And this is recent. A few years ago, my company asked me, my former company, asked me to relocate from Salt Lake City to the Bay Area for a project I was working on. I knew housing would be ridiculous. Of course, it's the Bay Area, one of the most expensive housing markets in the country. But since we were only going to be there for a couple years, it seemed to make sense for the project I was working on. And renting seemed to make sense rather than trying to buy and then sell a home in that market. For a similarly sized home to our Utah house, albeit with a smaller yard, the rent was more than two and a half times more expensive. It's nuts. I mean, it's just nuts. And if you were buying, it was more like three times what an equivalent house would cost in the Utah market. So that's a hard problem to solve, right? But, you know, we're sort of comparing different housing markets and that's normal. But then you have to figure out You know, if you're trying to decide between renting and owning, you have to take into account that if you're renting, your rent will go up every year too, right? If you're thinking about this idea of inflation, some percentage of my paycheck is going to go toward rent every month. And in five years, my rent will go up probably every year or two. 
and that percentage will stay more or less the same. So if your wages go up, you are always paying a similar percent of your rent for housing. But if you have a mortgage, that mortgage stays the same for 30 years and can go lower even if you refinance in the right circumstances. So imagine what that looks like 10 years, 20 years down the road. The person renting is paying whatever inflation in the market says the rent should be, but the person with a mortgage is paying the same exact dollar amount per month that they were 20 years ago. And then if you get any raises in those 20 years, then you now have extra money to do other stuff, like buy stocks, save for retirement. Jeez, put the money into the house for renovation, pay for a child's education, and on and on. But if you rent, well, it's not happening for you, is it? I call it being in a financial eddy. You're just stuck hanging on where you are with really no prospect for change. I don't mean eddy as in a person. I mean like when you look at a river and in a certain spot with just the right conditions, the water goes actually upstream. And anything stuck in that eddy doesn't go down the river. It just stays in its place. Sort of similar to the circumstance a lot of people are finding themselves in. Now, in all of this, we haven't even talked about some of the other kind of headwinds economically that people are facing, like health insurance or the cost for health care in general, or how there used to be full retirement and pension programs for workers, so they didn't have to actually put away their own salary for retirement. They would just retire, and then the checks would start to come. The times they are a change in. Or maybe the times they have a change in. Not quite the same ring to it. Now let's get back to this formula for the American dream. Can you start to understand why there is some frustration, some lack of empathy, some talking past one another when it comes to all this? For baby boomers, yes, I know that generational thing again, but for baby boomers, the path to prosperity of going to college, get a good paying job, then marrying and buying a house, it totally worked. Of course, that's what they taught their kids to do. And it worked pretty well for Gen Xers too. Not quite as well with such amazing numbers, but well enough. The younger generations want to participate in the same wealth creation. The formula for 75 years has been this. Step one. Get an education with no debt. Step two, get a good house. Step three, buy a house. Step four, because mortgage payments stay the same as I get raises, use extra money to buy stock and other long-term investments. Step five, use the equity from that house to buy an even bigger house. And then step six, repeat steps four and five over and over again. Step seven, retire with no mortgage and a pension. And step eight, eventually there's a funeral. And maybe Frank Sinatra's My Way is being sung by a second cousin somewhere. Pops Knuckles. Wasn't life grand? It all kind of worked out. But that formula just doesn't work too well these days. Especially steps one through three. The education, the job, the buying the house parts. Once you get the house, you can do the other steps. 
I used to think education was the key to financial prosperity. But as we've talked about before, it's not just about the college degree and the good income. It's about long-term wealth creation, right? Through owning real assets like a home, that first big piece. I'm not saying don't get an education. For what it's worth, skills do matter way more than a college degree, in my opinion. So get some skills. I am saying if you want to become wealthy, you need to own your home. It's the foundation. It's the cornerstone. And not having your house means you are not participating. People by nature are not lazy. And I think that's true of every person and every generation. And it's not in our nature to be lazy. We want to create. We want to become. Can you blame people, though, for being a little bit frustrated and feeling maybe a little bit helpless? We all want good opportunity. We all want to be treated fairly. We all want balance, fulfillment, and a measure of certainty. People want to work hard. People want to create. People want independence. People want to thrive, to dream even. It is truly human nature. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs is what we're talking about. Now, for those of you staring down the prospect of graduating with tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt and a housing market that looks, frankly, completely unobtainable, well, it can be daunting at best and a formula for lifelong financial survival at worst. Let's fast forward. Maybe let's go back to this narcissistic millennial from earlier. You have this millennial, right? Graduated from college, good job, educated with this cat named Simba. And now the cat has died of cancer. Can you believe it? Bummer. It's a super big bummer. And we start to have some empathy for this person because they don't even have a backyard to bury their cat in, you know? Home ownership. Can we just get them a backyard to bury Simba in, please? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Can we do this for Simba? Man, for a show focused on the hopeful side of the housing industry, I've really not done a good job of painting a good picture, have I? I mean, bringing cancer into it, a dead rescue cat, no home, no wealth creation, very stark. Very, very, very stark. But here is the light. There is some light. Here's the good stuff. Yes, The market has changed. The game has changed. The rules of engagement have changed. And change is hard. But we just need to figure out what the new formula is, or maybe what it could be, or maybe even what it should be. What is that new formula? Remember, it was those first three steps that were the hardest ones. The education, right? The job, and that buying that house. For the next few years in the market... Here is what I think the formula ought to be. Step one, acquire in-demand skills from a boot camp, a trade school, an apprenticeship. For some, college may make sense still, but it's worth going through that discovery. Step two, with those skills, get a good job. Step three, go in with some friends on a house as soon as you can. Rent it out, live in it, use it as vacation rental. You could also invest in commercial real estate, but get into that market as soon as you can. And step four, after a few years, sell that asset 
and use the proceeds to buy your first own home. And then you can follow the rest of the steps kind of like before. The really cool thing here is that there is a whole segment of companies popping up recently to help individual non-traditional investors to get into the real estate business. I don't have any skin in the game for any of these, but I thought they were worth mentioning here, so I'll go over a couple of them. There's this one company called Fundrise. Basically, you put money into one of their funds, which they invest in real estate and which pays out dividends, and it grows over time. You can then cash out that asset and make a little bit of money. I also like the app called Acorns, which helps you invest money with every transaction that you do. Every transaction that you make, you can round up, you can throw a few bucks into some investments. So it's a way to kind of help you save up for maybe that down payment. There's this other organization called Home Partners, really cool organization that helps first-time home buyers. Basically, you select a home along with a partnered real estate agent. They buy it, and then you lease it back with the option to buy it later on. Kind of almost like try before you buy for a house. There are others, but the point is technology and innovation are starting to jump in to address some of the pains people are feeling in the market. It's really amazing to see it. If you are in the market for some of these tools, you should check them out. So yes, someday soon, you can pop your knuckles and say, wasn't life grand? There is still a path. So there you have it. The Way Up Show with Monk. Produced by Randy Strew of Envision Podcasting. Associate writer, David Monk. You can rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Way Up Show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you go to listen to your favorite shows. 